This is Anabaptist Perspectives. How do commentaries help or hinder Bible study? How can you use them well? Or should the commentators just sit down? Today we are with Marlon Summers, who recently wrote a blog post at anabaptistperspectives.org. Marlon offers a three-step approach for how to engage with the text in preparation for teaching or preaching in church. So Marlon, to begin, explain what you mean by the inside-out sandwich. Yeah, so I give it the title, the inside-out sandwich, um, to make a point. A normal sandwich, you put the meat or the other goodies in the center. Cheaper stuff like bread, you know, you put on both sides of it. And what I'm suggesting is in Bible study, if you think of Scripture as the meat, put the meat on both ends and the cheaper stuff, the commentaries, um, study helps, other things that are less than Scripture um, in the middle. So that's the name. So in the blog post, you talk about the first step in which you recommend um, just reading the text without using other resources such as commentaries to help you understand. But you also recommend making charts or graphs or illustrations or doing things like that for your own personal benefit to understand the text. What are some techniques that you personally prefer and find to be useful as you're in this first step? Good question. Yeah, so the three steps, and I do put a big emphasis there on engage thoroughly with the text before going to commentaries, and then engage with the text again at the end um, in your final stage. And in that first stage, right, the minimal thing is reading, but I find it helpful to do a lot more. Personally, if it's a New Testament passage, especially something dense um, like the epistles uh, with these long sentences and so on, uh, just, you know, go online or into Bible study software, copy and paste the text into a blank document and just start spacing. I usually just use indentations, you know, a new sentence, uh, subpoints, and start lining it up. That often helps me get the get the flow of the text um, in my own mind. Uh, forces you to a- ask questions like, okay, is this a new subject or is he explaining it? Um, but really, whatever is helpful. Um, I can imagine some people might want to draw a picture or something like that. Um, the point is, start by making your own observations or even just, you know, those reflections on what does it mean in my life, um, really anything. Or often, if I'm getting ready to tell a story at like our local um, Bible club, uh, where I'm not really don't really have a goal much beyond telling the story well, and then I tell it to the whole class. Teachers can do a little more. I'll often just try to jot down, you know, partly by memory, partly looking at it, jot down the main points um, just to get it in my head. So you start with just bringing yourself to the text and letting the text come to you without any sort of mediation through commentaries or something like that. But in the second step that your blog post um, recommends, you encourage use of commentaries um, and other resources. I'd be interested to know what are some of your favorite resources, but also speak to those who don't have the resources to build an extensive library themselves, or somebody who uses online resources or free software like eSword. What kind of resources um, in those services would you recommend to our audience? Yeah, good. So I do recommend using other resources, at least a lot of the time. That can be skipped sometimes uh, when you're working directly with the text. As far as what to use, I actually care more about how you use it than what. And that is, I care that you've done the work personally yourself, and then you come to other resources 
simply as resources. So free resources help a lot, and there's a lot of stuff available. I see it largely as about doing due diligence. If you have a study guide, you know, you're teaching Sunday school or something like that. The Sunday school book is simply another resource like anything else, um, can be useful. Um, but I always have a discipline, even as, even as a student going to Sunday school. Figure out what the passage is, go read that in your Bible, and then come look what the Sunday school book has to say. I think it's important both for teachers and students. I do think you should try to go beyond free resources, though, because free typically means either somebody really wants to promote it, so they're kind of self-publishing and putting it out there without it going through a publisher, or it is public domain, which means essentially old, and there's a lot of older resources that are uh, very worthwhile, older commentators and so on, but uh, you also want something of a modern perspective, just you know, somebody that's seen things that may come up or may have been issues in recent years or whatever. Uh, if you're not going to spend a lot of money on it, I mean, watch the thrift store or a used book or something like that. One fun one that I found, uh, we were studying the book of James, and I found the study guide for it. Study guide and commentator, commentary, um, but it was coming from a Latin American scholar. And very helpful. It was older. I mean, it was, it was several decades old. Um, but not 100 years old, not the kind of thing you would typically find in, you know, free software programs or whatever. And yeah, things in it that made me scratch my head or say, really? And other things just like, hey, this is kind of a light bulb, helps me see it better. Start with what you have, but don't be afraid to do a little bit of shopping. Free is good, but an obsession with free is not good. So use free resources, but go beyond that. And if you don't have money, go to thrift stores, <laughs> but don't be gullible. <laughs> okay. Right, and even if the stuff you find at a thrift store is kind of random, mm -hmm. you're still you're getting somebody else's perspective. The goal is to help help you see a few things or stimulate your thinking on the passage. Mm -hmm. So the first step is to read the Bible without other resources, study the mm -hmm. passage unmediated. The second step is to use other resources such as commentaries. What is the third step? Come back to the text. Um, so I'm thinking of it, maybe you're preaching a sermon or a devotional or leading a Sunday school class, uh, writing a paper in Bible school, uh, just personal stuff. I think it's helpful to pull the final draft, you know, work from the text. Hopefully you're understanding the text is expanded personally. You've been studying it. Also through a commentary, somebody else, and I'll come back and basically sketch a presentation. So if it's a Sunday school you're thinking, hopefully you've thought through, okay, what are the main things here? Um, what is this saying? Hopefully you've also thought, thinking a little bit at this time about your audience, okay, you know, what's going to be maybe hard for people to understand? What's unusual? Uh, what should I do to guide them into it? Uh, but you're not just want to be, you're not just regurgitating, you know, that commentary that you found, especially the one that you just randomly found at the thrift store, like I told you to do. <laughs> um, so pull that from the uh, work from the text. Doesn't mean you can't use quotes. It's very helpful to go back and pull in quotes and so on, um, if you found the quote helpful, if you think you find it helpful for other people. But yeah, just kind of a fresh path. Fresh paths coming back at this passage um, in light of the study that you've done. 
Of course, I put it here schematically because I think it's helpful to think of it as a schematic. You know, start with the text, commentaries, end with the text. In reality, you know, it depends on your process. If I'm doing something really in-depth, I'm going to go back and forth. If I'm doing something more quickly, you may skip parts of it or whatever. Certainly fine to skip the commentaries sometimes. But you need those commentaries in your life. And it seems to me like in the middle is the best place to put them. If I was to go back to the Old Testament and find the book that I'm least familiar with, I don't think it would be the best approach to start by finding a commentary that outlines it and then go read it. Yeah, maybe sometimes it would be helpful. Uh, but if I'm thorough, I think sit down and read it first, even if it is full of strange visions and other things that have a hard time wrapping my mind around, and at least get an idea what those strange visions are. And then, yeah, I can look at somebody else for help. But then again, come back to the, since I'm on the theme of strange visions, come back to the strange visions in the prophets from your own perspective at the end um, before you talk to other people. Well, that is a helpful process. And I think it will be helpful to me as I teach and have opportunities to engage with the Bible publicly in the future. Before we go, um, I'd like to hear from you. How would you recommend that lay people or even ordained people who aren't well-versed in the biblical languages engage with the biblical languages, Greek and Hebrew, as they are studying the Bible and preparing to teach and preach? I kind of feel like I can talk from both sides on that. So on the one hand, when it comes to the New Testament Greek, I'm no expert there, but you know I can open a Greek New Testament and be comfortable with it. Or similarly with you know a scholarly lexicon that has lots of Greek words and text in it and so on. Um, when it comes to biblical Hebrew, I can't pronounce anything. I don't know the first step about it. Couldn't even get through the Hebrew alphabet. So I can speak from the kind of complete ignorance side and then the uh, kind of working knowledge side uh, for biblical languages. The biggest thing is caution, having some sense of what you know and what you don't know. Um, and if you're coming to a language where all you have is, you know, in my case, all I have is a Hebrew dictionary or whatever um, written in English, well, that's very limited because I don't know anything about Hebrew grammar. I don't know the difference between um, if a word is active or passive. In fact, I don't even know how the category of active or passive or all just the grammatical terms um, would apply to Hebrew. So just looking at a definition isn't going to be that helpful for me. One thing that is helpful in my case for Hebrew or for somebody else, you know, if you're not familiar with Greek, but trying to work through a lexicon of the Greek New Testament, uh, the biggest thing I find helpful is um, word studies, uh, especially if a word's used a number of times in scripture. You could use Strong's Concordance in the paper age, but it was pretty labor-intensive. Um, now there's a variety of tools that'll let you do a quick search. You can pretty quickly get you know, a list of all the biblical passages that use a particular word, and it'll highlight the English word or English words that were used to translate that, that word uh, from Greek or Hebrew. And often I find that helpful, just quickly scan down through that list. Now, it doesn't give you definitive, you know, magic answers, but you pretty quickly get a sense if it's used 10 or 20 times in the scripture, you get a sense of, okay, here's the general way this word is used or ways these words are used. That can be very helpful. Checking a few definitions can be helpful, but that's tricky too because, you know, some dictionaries just give a gloss or like, oh, here's one word you could use to translate it. Well, that's not a full definition. Um, other people, 
try to build a systematic theology into how they define a word. That's not helpful either. So probably I would say those kind of word searches, looking through, here's the 20 times that this word is used. Here's these different passages, uh, helps tie things together. And again, with original language resources, just like anything else, it kind of comes back to the end of, okay, well, now that I read the original passage and I looked at that, did anything go, you know, did anything click in my mind? Does it make more sense or make sense in a different way? Can I see it um, from the passage, you know, as I'm reading it um, out of my English Bible? Yeah, and one more thing to add there with using English language resources is don't use them to try to correct the text of your English Bible. At the very least, if you see extraordinary claims that a commentator is making saying, you know, well, this word really means this if you look it up, well, you know, check three or four English Bibles and see if any of them agree or if he's kind of out on a limb by himself. Come back to the text and understanding the text and see if those tools have helped you understand the text. Is there anything else you would like to add before we end this episode? Yeah, if I could say a little bit about the kind of two driving motives that I have uh, behind a method like this. The one thing I care about is that we don't feel beholden to commentators or locked behind scholars or whatever. It's like, no, you can deal with the Bible. You can think through the Bible. And so that's all that emphasis on embracing the text yourself, going back to the source. When I was in college, uh, we talked a lot about uh, a Latin term, ad fontes, or to the source. And that was applied to a lot of things, not just the Bible, but other documents like, you know, go back, read the original document, uh, whatever it is that you're studying. And that does us an awful lot of good uh, when going back to read the Bible. Um, but then the second thing is commentaries have value in various ways. Somebody has studied a lot. Somebody has thought a lot. So it's very worth taking our time to do some diligence, um, at least a lot of the time. And hey, what did somebody quite possibly smarter than me and most likely who is working a lot harder than me, um, what did they think of this? Um, but again, as a resource, and yeah, we pay attention to it. If it's a good commentator, I'm not going to, you know, lightly dismiss their view. Um, but neither am I just going to assume because it's in the commentary, it's somehow the gospel truth or whatever. And I mean, just a, just a little tidbit, two influences uh, for the method, although just put in closing. Uh, the one was one of my professors at school uh, talking about studying ancient Greek philosophy. And pushed me the very same thing, you know, go outline the text, work from the text, get your own idea before consulting all the commentaries, because academics come up with co commentaries for everything, not just the Bible, but um, other ancient texts. Um, the other one was actually from the preface of a scholarly commentary, and he described his process for how he wrote a commentary on a particular book of the Bible. And he said the same thing. Well, he wrote the first draft of his commentary. And he studied, and then he ended up writing primarily um, from the text to finish it. So he had all kinds of references to other people, but his agenda wasn't driven by what the commentators say. His agenda was driven by what can I say about this text that might be helpful to other people, uh, which is what you should be doing if you're preaching or teaching Sunday school or anything like that. Well, thank you, Marlon. This is a helpful process and pertinent reminders. So. 
Thank you for joining us. And Marlon's blog post is at anabaptistperspectives.org. So if this episode is of interest to you, I'd recommend that you go and find his blog post there. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you in the next episode. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We'd love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.